Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Let's get into it. Okay, everyone, welcome back. We are about to start season three of Ted Lasso, Pop on Leadership. Thank you so much to everybody who has been along this journey with us so far. It's been so much fun to hear all of your feedback and just, I, I don't know, it just it makes us feel real special that everybody is listening along to all of our ideas and just just being there with us. So we we thank you for being coming along this far with us. And to think that for season one, or sorry, for episode one of season three, I surprised you in North Carolina. <laughs> and it's been a whole season. So we had to kind of we we intentionally waited for the for season three to be over to start talking about it. Not because we didn't try. But we tried and we it was try. weird. Yeah, it was weird. It was I like we couldn't even really put our thumb on it. I think it was because we were trying to guess. We were spending so much of our time trying to guess what was going on, and that it took us out of the flow of how we normally talk about the podcast. Yeah. Fun times. We're gonna have to plan another trip where we see each other in person again. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you this time. Great, good. Do you know what people reached out to me the most about was they loved that we went to a psychic together. <laughs> it's going to be a thing. Yeah. And coincidentally, Rebecca goes and sees a psychic in this season. So it, it like people were like, oh, my God, you guys went to a psychic. And then Rebecca went to psychic. I'm like, we didn't plan it that way. We didn't know that was going to happen. Um, so here's the deal, though. When I come out to the West Coast to see you, I think our psychic experience, just because of how you are, is going to be on a totally different level. Like, you're definitely <laughs> going to go. <laughs> I mean, the next time you go to North Carolina, it'll be on a totally different level, too. I'll do some research this time, but like, I have a feeling you're going to do a research and we're going to have like a whole experience around it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, there will be like ayahuasca. Just kidding. I've never done that. And I'm very, I'm actually quite scared too. I'm like, I'm the, I'm the lady who's like, oh, I've taken too much Claritin D. Um, anyway. Um, tell me you're, tell me you're middle-aged without telling me you're middle-aged. <laughs> yes. Um, I surprised you. You had no, no, you did quite literally did not know I was coming. So I almost yeah. had a heart attack. Yeah. All right. So. Season three of Ted Lasso, episode one, Smells Like Mean Spirit, opens up. Ted's a little disheveled. I think this is a um, foreshadowing for at least like the first half of this season. He's just like seems out of sorts. Right. And he's at the airport. We find out that he just spent six weeks over the summer with his kid, Henry. Henry's flying back. Um, so there's this moment where, you know, you can tell. Uh, Ted's like, hey, you know why I'm staying? He's really torn. He's sad. We're not quite sure, like, where his head's at. Um, and Henry's like, yeah, you're going to win the whole thing. You know, and Ted's like, well, winning isn't everything. He's like, well, you got to try. So, like, right there, we kick off season three with this 
what I think, uh, some foreshadowing here. And essentially this first episode is what we find out is um, all the pundits, all the papers, all the sports reporters, everyone on Twitter is predicting that Richmond is going to end up last in their league, right? And that Rupert's team, West Ham, which is now being coached by Nate, will end up first. So that's the backdrop. We've got a couple of other things. We see Keeley in her new job. We can talk about that. But sort of the big thing is Ted's disheveled. You can we're not quite sure where his head's at. There's this tension around winning and losing, and everyone's predicting them to lose. <laughs> so that's yeah. And Rebecca's not happy about it. No, she's not. But I would say too, not only is Rebecca not happy about it, she's taking it. I don't know if this is exactly right but she's kind of taking it personally because she's making it about making it about her and rupert Mm -hmm, definitely you know what's interesting i think that we need to talk about the rebecca situation because i think that this happens often inside of our careers inside of our journeys i had a i had a boss one time like and she was awesome, but she, she was giving this talk to a group of women leaders in my last company. And she was saying that you have to be really careful whenever you set a goal, because when you meet that goal, it can be a little bit unsettling on the other side. So she would describe this story of how she was a little girl, how she always wanted to go to Australia. So she loved, she, she wanted to go to the Eiffel Tower. She wanted to go to Australia. Like those were her big dreams of her life. And she always was like, that is the pinnacle of like what I want to do. And then she got to do those things early on in life. And she, she was saying, you know, it's, it was like, okay, then what next? And that, and that can be unsettling. And I, th- I, I think that that's happening with the team. I think that Rebecca, her, her motivations are also changing. Her purpose is changing. She's trying to figure that out. But yeah, like I, yeah. So I think that like, let's talk about this for a second. What, what, what do you do whenever you do meet your goal, like your ultimate goal? And then you have, you, you're, you're unsettled from it. Like, has that ever happened to you before? Well, as an Enneagram three, absolutely. <laughs> this is, wait, you're saying people don't behave this way? Um, <laughs> I think, uh, no, no, that's a good question too. Is, is that a human experience? Is that everyone, you know, like everyone yeah. forgets to set the goal after the goal? Well, yeah, there's that sort of what comes next. I can definitely talk about that when I decided to go off on my own and how I had to like set new measures of success and goals for myself, mm-hmm. right? Because I no longer had the sort of infrastructure or blueprint of what a company puts forward as like you go through these steps and you get promoted and these are the titles, right? So I had to kind of create that for myself, um, knowing myself because I the whole point of this Rebecca thing needed to know like what's next. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but I, I have, I'm, I'm getting better at this, but I have always been the person that it's really hard to look back and appreciate the successes or how far I've come. And instead it's like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And feeling and until that, like what's next is defined and I have a plan towards it, feeling very unmoored, feeling un- mm-hmm. feeling unproductive, feeling like I'm unaccomplished, even though I stand upon 
you know, all these other things I've done to get me to this place. So I have, I've had to do a lot of work to really shift my mindset around that, but it is, it can feel, um, disorienting. It can feel destabilizing when you're like, wait, what am I, what am I pointing towards next? I don't have a plan, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Like what, like what's next is defined. Like that's a, yeah, I think that, that I think that that sums it up because it's interesting. It's like you have to be, in, especially in entrepreneurship, you have to be in this place where you have goals, but you're also you're also just like okay with the ambiguity of the situation, and that's really yeah. that's really hard. That's really hard as well. Yeah, one thing I told myself when I went decided to go off and consult and freelance on my own was that I didn't want just the dollar amount to be the measure of success, right? Like it is a measure, like how much am I billing clients? How much am I bringing in? Of course it is a measure, like we have to live and pay a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not saying it's not important, but I didn't want it to be the only thing. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was really interesting too. Cause I, how do I want to feel successful? Right. What is, and, and one thing I told myself was, okay, being the type of person that will beat yourself up, when you make mistakes or things aren't going your way, like, can you look back and say, these are all the things I've learned? Can I treat everything kind of like small experiments and look at myself? Like, can I look at a before and after story and say like, wow, look at January and look at December, look at the progress. And so I had to sort of say like, that's how I'm going to be measuring success. Not these like very tangible things, but sort of more about growth, more about experiences, more about learning, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's the healthy response, right? Is like getting to that point of, of like, I'm, I'm acknowledging the growth and the journey that I'm having along the way. Yeah, but yeah. but it, but it's totally hard. And so I think if you go back to Rebecca, right? Like, so she, they 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 achieve this big goal, and so now she's doing this weird thing where all she wants she's focusing all of her energy into beating Rupert, which I don't. I mean, obviously, it's not the right goal, but she needs to go through a process of figuring out like what's my new purpose, like what's my new goal now that we've done this, and she's healing from that whole situation. So, and we hear her say that in this episode that you know, like she she is changing, but yeah, but she's she's in limbo as well. She's also taking it quite personally, right? She's she t and he is a jerk or what have you, but I, I I don't know if he's actually thinking about her as much as she thinks he is, which probably might hurt her even more. And we know she gets to that realization eventually, but she thinks it's like me and him in this battle. And <clears throat> so like when he buys West Ham she kind of is like, okay, now he's like my personal rival. Like he was this annoyance, but now here we go head to head. Oh, he was predicted, his team was predicted to land first. Our team, it's like, we are now enemies. And and Ted brings this up. He tries to reframe it for her. And like, she's like, Rup Rupert's predicted to win. And Ted jokingly was like, so Rupert's playing this year? Like trying to trying to get her to see like, we got to focus on the team. This is not a Rebecca Rupert thing. And she's not quite there yet. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I, and I want to go back to something that you said that Rupert doesn't think about her. I, I mean, Rupert's a narcissist, right? So he, 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 I think he still wants to control her. He still wants, sure. he still wants to know that she's bothered by him. Um, and it's because that's like how he feels loved or whatever, like in his sick little mind. Right. So yeah. I do, I do think that he intentionally like wants to stay under her skin and wants to feel like he has control over her. Like, yeah. like that's his happy place. Yeah. But she's letting yeah. it happen. Like that's, and I think yeah. that's what Ted's trying to tell her is that by focusing in on him, you know, it's like that expression. If you drink poison, expect another person to get harmed. Like she's, she's drinking the Rupert poison and he, and he knows it right now. And that's, that's yeah. where, where he likes to keep her. Yeah, no, that's true. I think he does get like, knows that it's a form of control if she's still bothered by him. Yeah. Ugh, Rupert. So, yeah, Rupert. So oh my god. Rupert is so gross. He's like best friends with the Sackler family. <laughs> this season is so funny. His office is all black. He dresses in all black. His coat looks like this cape. He's just like a villain. No. He's <laughs> Remember me telling you that like I thought this season well, I do still think this season is about Ted getting his groove back, right? Yeah. I think that we see that that's not like the main storyline, but I thought I thought that that was going to be the storyline is that they were going to like we always have these metaphors and these motifs of movies throughout the episodes. So yeah. I thought that it like the how to get your groove back was going to be the motif through this through this season. Yeah, um, we could maybe make a case that it was, but I don't really think it wasn't as strong um, now that I've seen the whole thing. But if you're looking at it, like Rupert is so Dr. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went all in on the symbolism with Rupert. Like the, the window that he has, yes. like, like they should have get they, like, it was a miss that he didn't have a cat in his office that he's like stroking yeah. while he's talking to Nate. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. They they definitely um, played it up with Rupert this season, which is pretty funny. Um, another thing that came up, uh, I think, you know, Ted talks about this. It comes up in the second episode as well. But this idea of when to let go, like, should you quit something? What if you've outgrown it? Those are my words, not necessarily Ted's. But we get the sense that his, like, heart's not quite in it. Mm-hmm but that he isn't comfortable quitting, right? And yet there's this tension with his family. Like he doesn't want to be seen as a quitter with his family. He doesn't want to be seen as a quitter with the team. He doesn't want to. So he's kind of lost a little bit to your point. He's, he's what's my purpose? Like, where am I putting my effort? It feels like if I put my effort all here, I'm, I'm letting down this area of my life. And, you know, so that seems like a, a big theme this season for sure. That's kind of unfolded in episode one. Yeah. That he has to listen to himself. That, <laughs> no, for, yeah. Like, yeah, he doesn't, he, I don't think Ted, like, I, I mean, I, I personally, I mean, I'll, I don't know if this is an Enneagram seven thing. We'll have to ask, we'll have to ask Sandia, but like, um, is that self-sacrifice that like, mm -hmm. I'm going to give everything that I have to like a person to a company, but I'm not going to listen to myself because I'm always trying to like make other people happy. Like, I think that, um, like, that's definitely something I've had to work on in my life, but like that I, but that's Ted as well. Like that idea of like, I can't quit because I have to, I have to be this person for everybody else instead of listening to myself. 
Yeah, I also wonder if it's like related to his, to some extent, tuning out negativity, mm-hmm. sometimes leaning into toxic positivity. You know, we've seen that, like sometimes it's like, Ted, you got to sit with this discomfort, right? And we love how he gives these amazing pep talks. We love how he like turns the team around and gets them to feel really positive about stuff. Like last season, it was the rom-com and all this stuff. But like, it comes at a price of not acknowledging what is wrong and what needs to be fixed sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, and so sometimes you're like, Ted, just sit with the discomfort. Like, stop trying to bury these uncomfortable feelings. It's okay to have some like negative moments. And I think that's happening even with him, that it's almost like it's, he's been pushing them down for so long that it's hard for him to like, to your point, not listen to himself anymore because it's bubbling up and he's got to deal with like negative feelings. Yeah. He's got to listen to himself and he's got to deal with negative feelings. And I mean, that's why we see him having so many, you know, mental health issues throughout these series, which I think is such a beautiful thing to talk about and to like, and to build this story around as well. That like, like Ted is the metaphor for that. Like if you do not deal with your negative feelings, they're going to come up in different ways. You're either going to really get a dependence on some kind of substance, right? Because that's what a lot of people do when they have a lot of negativity is that they're just like, oh, well, I don't want to deal with that. So I'm going to put it in substance. They'll do, they'll, you know, like it'll affect their sleeping habits. It affects all these different parts of your life. And and what you really have to do at the end of the day is just sit in those negative feelings for them to go away. Because they don't just, they don't go away unless you do that. Yeah. And and do you think like one of the things that just came to, as you were saying that is there's a little bit of Ted phoning it in. So there is something Mm -hmm. really interesting there. Like when you get to a job where you're like, just not into it, it's not that you're bad at it. It's not that you can't do it. It's not that you were great at, weren't great at it once, but you're just like, your heart's not in it. How to reconcile like that question, like, is it time for me to leave? Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that come with that, like, well, what am I going to do next? Or where am I going to go? And I got to find a job and that's scary. And then I got to start all over. And will this team hate me if I leave? Like all those things bubble up. But it's very clear, like when you start phoning it in, especially for someone that like usually shows up as loving their job, you know, I, I mean, I, I've had those moments myself and I don't like myself when I'm there. Cause I love when I'm really committed to something. I, and I feel like, yeah, go ahead. no, I was just going to say, like, I think so many people could probably relate to that too. It's just, it is the worst feeling whenever you feel like you are phoning it in. It's like that languishing feeling of, mm-hmm. I just, I just don't care about what I'm doing. And I think that there is, we've talked about this before. I, I do think that there is um, some time periods in life where a job that you're not super passionate about and that you can phone it in is, is okay. When you, mm-hmm. like, like if you have a new baby and you have a job where you could phone it in, beautiful situation, right? Like there's periods in life where it's okay, but I don't, I just, you can't stay there very long where you're like not proud of what you're doing and you're not feeling really good about your doing because it'll start, it'll start to wear on you and you'll show up like we Mm -hmm. see Ted Lasso showing up right in this first season. Yeah. It's a really tricky thing because there's like phoning it in and then there's spending every single second obsessed with work. It's like half finding that happy medium of 
I am giving this my best, but it's not consuming me. Right. And that's a hard, hard thing. And you might, that might change day to day, week to week, job to job. It is not something that people just get perfectly. It is a constant turning of knobs and dials and levers. Um, So there might be times to your point, whether it's a period of your life or a week or just a season where you're just like, I got to phone it in for my mental health. But then you're right. It starts to be like, I don't like sitting in this space for too long. I don't want to sit on a Zoom meeting just for the sake of sitting on a Zoom meeting because I'm going to start having an existential crisis. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's so much to be said about just the opportunity to improve and redesign meetings now in a mostly virtual hybrid world. Yes, absolutely. Um, All right. So Ted needs his mojo back. Rebecca is um, a little lost. Everybody's a little lost right now. Yeah. Yeah. The season opened up and you're like, oh, wait, I, 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 this is the cast and crew I love, but everyone feels a little funky, um, including, I think before we wrap up, we got to talk about Keely. Oh, yeah. We do have to talk about Keely. Yeah. I was excited about this storyline, but I it starts off very weird. I was excited about the storyline, too. And I, um, you know, without giving away too many spoilers, I don't love how they represented Keely this season. Me neither. There was so much... I had a lot of hope because, I, I mean, I, I talk about this at nauseum, but like... I I want there, just like Ted Lasso has been a different metaphor of how you show up at work. I thought that they were going to give us that with Keely of like how important it is to have an energetic, optimistic leader of an organization and they could be just as powerful, right? Like I was, I was so hoping that they were going to be like, okay, let's give Keely some leadership training. Let's like, she's going to find her confidence in her style. And this is going to be a success story. Like that's what I wanted. Um, yeah, but I was disappointed also about what they did with that. I, yeah, the Keely that you see at the end of season two, like who just had this spread in Vanity Fair, who makes the really hard decision not to travel with Roy for six weeks because she is going to start her new business and it is taking it seriously. It's not the Keely we see. And I think they went almost like a little too hard on, like we knew she was going to have hiccups. We knew she was going to have learning moments. We knew she was going to have to turn to Rebecca for advice, right? We knew all that, but they made her, and actually my kids were the ones to point this out. They're like, why are they making Keely seem stupid in this season? Yes, totally. And my, and I, and it was my kids that put their finger on it. They're like, Keely's not she's that dumb. And she's, yeah, she's so smart. Like, and it's like small ways. It's like, like she didn't know thing. Like, she did, like yeah. blonde. Like, come on, y'all. Yeah, it was so cliche. It was like, uh, like she has held senior positions and has worked within like the AFC Richmond like executive team she knows she knows what these titles are to say like that she didn't know what cfo meant i was like what's going on here like that was the first sign of like weird it was weird right that i don't i writers of ted lasso we love you but that that could have that could have had some notes um, y'all did Keely dirty. You y'all did Keely dirty. This Keely dirty, and it wasn't even funny. I mean, I no. guess like one angle you could say was that like 
if you're showing someone going into entrepreneurship that it's not going to be an overnight success, which I love, you know, I love showing no overnight successes. Um, and that sometimes you can start a company, it could go under, and then you have to get back up again and start a new one, right? Because that's usually how yeah. that journey goes. Um, but yeah, they they made her look like she was like a dumb blonde that was like, um, I just, yeah. And yeah, like dits, ditzy. They made her look ditzy and, and flighty and... How, I don't know. How awesome would it have been if she would have had like an actual relatable work experience where she would have been like, I didn't hire these people. Like I need to hire the people that I believe in. And Keely understands people. That's her superpower, right? Like she could navigate, she's navigated a very, um, like man's world. She's navigated all these different worlds. Like she should have, like if they would have made the storyline, these are not my people. They have low energy. This is just from some like just faceless, like venture capitalist firm that put them in there. Let me hire my people and do my thing and show you how it's done. Ugh, that would have been chef's kiss. Yeah. And and we and look, it's also relatable that she's like, oh my gosh, I have this big opportunity. You know, beggars can't be choosers. I I I'm not gonna rock the boat just yet. Like that's a that could be very relatable. I hear you. Like she sh probably the Keely of the past would have gotten to that point. Right. Like I got to surround myself with people I trust. I got to surround myself with people who get me, um, who see, share my vision. Um, yeah. Oh, I just, but anyway. I just had one more thought on this though. Okay. I might be back. I might be back on board with a storyline just, just right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I kind of have this theory right now that executive teams aren't the problem inside of organizations anymore. I mean, they are, there's a lot of toxic masculinity and those, those, those bros need to learn how to think for themselves. Right. But I also think that there's a problem with these um, private equity firms that are using mm. these tired playbooks and they're just going into and buying companies and using the same playbook and then just like intimidating executive teams to follow that playbook. So what I am saying about the storyline is maybe it is a metaphor for showing how that doesn't work anymore or how that needs mm -hmm. to be changed because it just sucks the energy out of a company and will destroy it. And they need to be paying more attention to culture and like the people element and not just like putting in your CFO and thinking that that's going to make business work in, in this day and age. Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting take because we do see that play out a little bit later in the season when um, Keely has a little bit of a PR nightmare herself about herself and how the VC investors decide to deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. It is um, it is it is by a uh, by the book, to yeah. your point. Um, I know we said we were going to wrap on Keely, but something just came to mind. We can't I, I, I we can't leave, at least without me talking about the scene in the sewer. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why there's like this metaphor, Ted takes the team down into like the London sewers to talk about this metaphor of like, everyone's interconnected. So when you're feeling low, borrow some of Danny's cheerfulness. When you're feeling low, borrow some of Jamie's confidence, et cetera. And also it was a little, like a little, to me, a little ham fisted. There were two metaphors they were trying to shove down our throats, you know, but. Uh, it was like mindfulness and the power of networks, right? And which is a thing. Yes, thing, absolutely. Right? Your, your networks have a big influence on your well-being and even your weight and your health, right? Like all day. Yes. Totally. 
Yes. No, I loved both metaphors. I just it was, was like, why are you doing too much? Too much. Putting them together was too much. So the w- first one was we're all interconnected. Let your energy flow. And then the other one was let poopy flow. <laughs> so when like bad stuff happens, just let it flow. Like, you know, remember that there's just an underground system where like bad poopy stuff can just flow. Okay. Or as Jamie says, poopy. 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 Okay. The, but uh, what I want to talk about is necessarily, uh, not necessarily, sorry, those metaphors, but rather... Um, the power of analogous inspiration research. So, ooh, tell me more, um, Virginia. <laughs> yes. So, um, in in design thinking, in in design research, one of the most powerful things, as you know, it's like uh, human centricity. You want to get to know what the user, the patient, the customer, the employee is feeling and thinking and saying and doing so that when you design a solution, it is with them in mind. So that's one big part of research, right? The other thing that design thinking does really well is this, um, you could call it looking out, you could call it inspirational research, you could call it analogous research, but like, what are things that take us out of our day to day that could spark new ideas? Mm. And so I, there's one example from IDEO that to this point, like it could be like an urban legend. It's been told and retold so many times that I think the story I have might be like 5% true at this point. But <laughs> this is the, the, the example I'll give you is that uh, supposedly, as the story goes, IDEO was working with um, a hospital that wanted to improve their ER stats, like how many patients could they see, the efficiency, the effect, you know, efficacy, just making sure that it was safe, uh, that their people weren't burnt out and that they were delivering great quality health care and services, right, in their ER. And so um, what IDEO supposedly did, again, as the myth goes, (laughs) took that team, that client team out to see uh, a, a race, a race car race, and then talk to the pit crew. Because if you think about a team that has to turn things around really quickly, has to be able to communicate sometimes without words, is working with small, important instruments. And if they make one bad move, someone dies. Mm-hmm. They're like, what can we learn from the pit crew at NASCAR or the pit crew at Formula One? I don't know. What can that team teach us about quick turnarounds and collaboration and all this stuff that might inspire us when we go back to our hospital ER. So that's an example of analogous research and inspiration. I love Again, it. My, my former IDEO colleagues are going to recount like, that's not how it happens. Or that's not true. <laughs> Probably not. But, but even as an example, it serves the point. And so I seeing that sewer scene, um, I kind of loved, cause I, I do, I truly believe in get in, in yes. the power of getting your team outside of your four walls just to see something like oh yeah i see how this relates and i can be inspired in new ways and i think that's really important people should be building that in whether you do it once a year quarterly up to you all but it's really important yes beautiful and i have to i have a couple i have a couple things to add on this too um just from real life so 
we would we would do that we would do that activity and i think that idea inspired it i don't know what was like the beginning of it but it was like the ethnographic research right mm -hmm. so you would go off and you would write down like so we were doing something on cell phones at the time so we would write down every single thing that was happening like about human connectivity like every single note that was going on and then like look for like the trends in that and i think that i think that that can happen more inside of organizations of like how do you pay attention to all the things that are happening and then um one of my my car dealerships, what they would do is because they would hire people to work in the you know on the service lane that it maybe had never worked in any kind of luxury industry. So they would send all of these guys. Well, at that time it was all guys to go stay at like the Ritz Carlton so that they could like have mm -hmm. like, a luxury experience. And they would come mm -hmm. back like with those notes. So like that would be the assignment mm -hmm. to like do that ethnographic research and take all those notes so that you come back mm -hmm. and you had that immersion experience and you can now apply it to your customers customers. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yes. Right. People should just get out of their out. proverbial four walls and, and go get inspiration from the outside world. It's there. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful. And, and hey, and sometimes the sewer system might be the answer. <laughs> yes. Many, many metaphors are coming from you the have, sewer. If you have a bunch of bros that don't understand mindfulness and you need them to get out of their negativity, maybe just take them to a sewer. That's what we've learned today. <laughs> yeah. If boys don't understand mindfulness, but they understand poop. <laughs> As a mom of boys, they understand poop. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, this feels like a good place to stop. <laughs> This is a poop stop. Poop stop. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We are back. Season three, episode one. We can't wait to see you along for the ride. Thank you so much. We're glad to be back. We're glad you're back too. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.